Amen. All right, well, that was your mini-sermon for today. But I've got another one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Second, second sermon. So, um, thank you for your grace. I mean, I mean that as I share something that I know is difficult. Thank you for hearing me and listening. And I just ask that you'd ask the Holy Spirit, just whatever the Holy Spirit is saying, just in, to invite him to share with you what it is that he wants you to hear from that. Um, so over the last five days, I uh, was in Memphis with a bunch of teenagers. Um, and I, while I was there, I, I learned again why I'm not in youth ministry. Um, <laughs> Now, I did youth ministry. I started in youth ministry. That's where I, I cut my teeth, so to speak, in ministry. But I think as I've gotten older, I've, I've learned that I just don't have the stamina to keep up with these kids, you know? And I was telling somebody uh, that basically it was like 14-hour days every day. Because, uh, you know, with kids, they keep them busy because they don't want them to, like, blow the place up. And so, so they keep them busy, and, 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 and uh, by the time you get back to your hotel at night, you're just so exhausted and tired, and, and, and you're wishing that it would all be over. Um, <laughs> for all the leaders on the trip, you know what I'm saying? Um, and and it, 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 it isn't easy to do, but the thing that I was so blessed by is... And, and this is something that if you never go to a teen conference or you're ever a leader at a teen conference, um, you don't get to experience this. And that is really the passion that young people have for the Lord. Like there's, a, there's an energy and a passion for the Lord that I've found that as you get older, it's a little harder to keep. And I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired by that. So for me, I was encouraged. I love to see what God was doing in the lives of teens. And yes, I am exhausted. <laughs> but it's worth it, isn't it? It's okay. It's okay to be tired sometimes because you've given yourself to something that matters. You know what I mean? So anyway, uh, pray for me as we jump in here to the Word of God. I believe God has something for each one of us. And so we're continuing a series um, called Signposts, and this is a series on the book of First and Second Peter. And if you've missed any of those installments, that's okay. I'll catch you kind of up to what it is and where we're going and what that's all about. But if you have missed any, you can find it online uh, or download our app, and you can find the messages so far. And today is week three, and so for fir the first week we did kind of an overview and introduction. Uh, last week we talked specifically um, about what it means to to really be a signpost. And then finally today, we're going to jump in a little bit more about something that I think is absolutely relevant, but also something that is not really high on people's list. Uh, and so we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to read for us the message, uh, this, this particular series verse. And so I'll share that with you. This is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas. And so Peter is writing and telling us this, and he says, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to, look at this, encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you 
And then he says, stand firm in this grace. Now, what is it that they're experiencing? Well, they're starting to experience persecution. They're starting to experience suffering at a level that they haven't experienced it up until this point. And so Peter is, is trying to say, look, I'm with you. I need, you to, I need to encourage you. I need to assure you that this is what God is doing. Isn't that interesting? That in the middle of it, whether he caused it or allowed it, there's suffering. And that suffering is happening. And in the process, what he's saying is what you really need is to understand again the grace of God. That the grace of God is sufficient in those situations. So if you're in a situation today that's difficult, hard, awful, whatever, painful, the Bible would say to you and to me, God's grace is sufficient. What that means is not that everything's going to be rosy, not that all the pain will go away, but that God is with you in it. It's one of the most distinctive things about Christianity is that our goal isn't just to remove pain. Our goal is to recognize that God is with us in the pain and he transforms us through pain. And that ultimately helps shape us into who? Jesus. Because Jesus suffered. And it was in his suffering that it led to our life. And so why would we ever expect anything different? Are we above Jesus? And so the point that Peter is making is this. And so that helps to frame where we're going. In other words, that we are called to be signposts of God's grace that we've experienced. And so in this world, in the difficulty, even the stuff I was just talking about, in the midst of all of that, we are called to be signposts that point to a different reality. That this is what the world acts like. This is what we act like. This is the God that you worship, but clearly that's not the God that I worship because the God that I worship is like this. And so we're called to be signposts of that grace. Makes sense. And so, my friends, this is the very heart of what Peter is trying to get at is that we are called to be people that point to God. And here's the thing that I've discovered, and you know this, we all know it intuitively, is that we can either be people who point towards God with our behavior or point away from him with our behavior. And if you watch the news lately, you've seen both. You've seen some people point towards him and you've seen some people point away from him. And some of those people would identify themselves as what? Christians. So my friends, we are called to a higher standard. We are called to live differently in this world. And so today I want to dig a little bit deeper into this reality I want to dig a little bit deeper into something that I'm calling privileges and responsibilities. Privileges and responsibilities. Because the reality is, is if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you have certain privileges and you have certain responsibilities. And part of what Peter is trying to help us to see is this reality. And so here's the big idea for today, if you're wondering, if you're just like, I've got to write the big idea down. And I learned a new phrase, and I'm going to use it all the time. And so here, here it is, is that note takers, come on, are what? History makers. Isn't that good? Note takers are history makers. I like that. Don't you like that? You're like, no, I don't like it because that means I have to write. But I, how many times have you listened to something and not written it down and then walked out and forgotten? As Christians, we're called to be 
disciples, students of the Word of God. And so I just want to encourage you, start taking some notes. Start allowing yourself to write down things that God is saying to you because I guarantee you, especially the older you get, you will forget, friend. So write it down. Note takers are history makers. I like that. Everybody say that with me. Note takers are history makers. That's good. Some of you are like, I don't care. I don't want to say that. I don't like it. Well, you know what? I'll pray for your rebellion in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Look at it. Some of you are like, I hate him. I hate him. I knew I hated him. But here's the big idea for today. The way we submit either points to God or points away from God. The way we submit. Listen to that. The way we submit. And every time I say that word, something in you goes, Ew. The way we submit either points to God or away from God. And that's one of the things that Peter starts to talk a lot about. Listen to this in 1 Peter 1, 23. So we reach back into chapter 1, and he says this, and this is important that you get this. He says this in verse 23. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. What is he saying? He's saying, if you've experienced Christ, if you would say that you've been born again, if you would say that you've entered into the death and life of Jesus Christ, he would say, therefore, okay, this is important. Therefore, do it this way. So he starts in chapter 1 by laying a foundation of saying, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, if you have claimed the new life that comes from Jesus, therefore. Does that make sense? And as he goes through the rest of the book, the therefore helps us as he explains these principles that therefore shows us that there is an action that comes with that reality. And so he says this in chapter 2, after you know acknowledging because again i've told you this if you don't have the new birth you will not be able to accomplish what jesus has called you to accomplish you can't do it in and of yourself you have to have the power of jesus through the holy spirit to accomplish it and so he says if you have experienced this born again reality therefore listen to this because i think this is the key thought in chapter two and it's submission submission everybody say that with me submission it's a beautiful word, even though it's a word that we don't particularly enjoy because I'll just let you in on a little secret as human beings. We have authority issues. Did you know that? It's true. We have authority issues. It goes all the way back to the garden. We've got issues. And especially when it comes to authority, especially when it comes to God. And so, so here's what Peter says as you walk through the book. And I'll just highlight a few verses and, 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 and that you find here in chapter 2. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. For the, for the Lord's sake, submit to all, everybody say all, human authority, whether the king as the head of state. That's a, I don't know. There's been some pretty bad kings, hasn't there? Yeah, there's been some pretty bad leaders, hasn't there? And so you read something like this and you're like, come on. I mean, come on, God, what are you, what are you getting at? It's a good question. First Peter 2, 18, listen to this. 
And this one really rubs me the wrong way. But you put it in context, listen. Because at this time in history, it was very prevalent. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you. Not only, listen to this, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. Anybody else have a problem with that one? Yeah. It's like, what? Is, what? What? Then listen to this in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2. In the same way, you wives, uh-oh, here we go. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husband. That's the New Living Translation's way of saying submit to your husband. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words, and they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. And then finally, in 1 Peter 3, 5, as we go through this, this is how the holy woman of old made themselves beautiful. Listen to this. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands or submitted to the authority of their husbands. Now, if I haven't lost you yet, stay with me, because I do think that these are relevant today. What happens sometimes is because of how they're packaged or because of how we've experienced them, sometimes what we do is we reject the Word of God we reject the principles of the Word of God simply because we have a hurt habit or a hang-up that keeps us from accepting it. Because the Word of God is still applicable today. Even if there are things like cultural barnacles that are holding on, if you know what I'm saying. Because there are. There are things that were happening in the time of Peter and Paul that are different than things that are happening today. But I also want to go on record and say that slavery is not something that's gone in our world. Like, just because there's no slavery in the way that it was in the early days of America doesn't mean that there aren't people still in slavery. It's happening all around the world. Some estimate 27 million people are experiencing slavery or forced kind of work or even in the area of sex trafficking and in some other things like that. This is still happening in our world. And so my point is, is that God has something to say to it. God has something to offer. God has something to bring to us. And what is it that he's trying to get to us? What is it that he's trying to teach us? It's submission. But how do we then apply that in our current reality and our current world? And so here's the thing that I know. When I was adopted into God's family, it comes with certain privileges and certain responsibilities. So, so here, I'll give you an example. I was married to my wife, and when I got married to my wife, Gretchen, I was basically grafted in to her family. That makes sense? Like, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. You're grafted in to this new family. In some ways, you're adopted into this new family. And as a result of being a part of that family, there are certain rights that you have, certain privileges that you have. And then there are also certain responsibilities, if, you, if that makes sense. So here, I'll give you an example. So when I joined the, the Jervis clan, one of the things that I noticed is that they owned a cabin in northern Wisconsin. Now, I didn't own a cabin. They owned a cabin. But because I married Gretchen, I now get the privilege of going to this cabin. Does that make sense? It's my privilege. But... As things go forward, as things happen in life, as people get older, what happens is now it becomes more of my responsibility 
to manage said cabin, cabin that I used to just enjoy as a privilege. Does that make sense? And so there's, there's both privileges and responsibilities that come with it. And as, as followers of Jesus Christ, this is true of your life, that you have both privileges and responsibilities because you were grafted into the family of God. And now, if you call yourself a Christian, your job is to make sure that you, that you are doing the things that God has called you to do in terms of your responsibility, but then also enjoying the privileges of being a follower of Jesus. And so, I don't know where you are on that spectrum. Some of you are like, I love the responsibility, but you don't have any joy. You have no joy of the privileges of being a follower of God. Or some of you like, oh, I love the joy. I love the grace. I love Jesus. He's so, oh, he's so great. But then when it's about getting to work and being responsible and saying, yes, I'm committed to these things and I'm going to get out. You're like, no, nah, I'm good because I really like the privilege, but I don't like the responsibility. And what Peter's trying to get us to see is it's a package deal. If you claim the name, it comes with privileges and responsibilities. Is that making sense? All right, so we're going to dig in here. And what I want to do for just a few minutes is talk to you about the heavenly privileges that you enjoy as we walk through the first 10 verses of chapter 2 of here, here in 1 Peter. So let's look at our heavenly privileges. The first one is that we can grow. Like, did you know that we can grow? Like before Jesus, you could kind of grow, but now you're like, it's like miracle grow. You, put, you ever put miracle grow on a plant? Apparently, it makes plants grow. That's why it's called miracle grow. And so you put the miracle grow on the plant, and all of a sudden, the plant just starts to really flourish and get bigger and, and badder and, and greater. Uh, but, 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 but the point that I'm trying to make is that the Bible says that when you receive Jesus and the Holy Spirit now comes into your life and empowers you, you can actually grow in your life. You can actually grow. Listen to this in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. So get rid of all, everybody say all. All evil behavior. All evil behavior. Be done with all, everybody say all. Deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all, come on everybody, all unkind speech. Oh man. I was doing really good. And then they had to throw in that unkind speech. And then he says this in verse 2. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. Why? So that you will grow into a full experience of salvation and then finally he says this, cry out for this nourishment now that you have a taste of the Lord's kindness. You know, the Bible says in the Psalms that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. And one of the ways that we taste and see that the Lord is good is that we experience his grace and his mercy. And when we encounter it, it changes us. It changes the way we think. It changes Everything because we recognize that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And it's through that repentance that we find salvation and eternity with a God who loves us. Wow! Isn't that amazing? 
And I love how he says, you need to crave pure spiritual milk. How many of y'all love milk? That's it? Oh, you guys, come on. I love milk. Oh, man, I can pound some milk. I, the whole milk. Like, forget that stuff where you're trying to get the fat out of it. I, I want the whole stuff. I want, the, I want the, uh, the good, creamy, yummy milk. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, no, that's gross. I hate it. It's gross. It tastes weird. But I'm telling you, I just love it. And on top of that, whether you like it or not, I like ice in my milk. Get over it. I do. Get over it. I like ice in my milk. Matter of fact, I like to get the crunchy kind of ice. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy that. So the Bible says, crave pure spiritual milk. Pure spiritual milk. And what does that mean? Well, one thing it says, if you, if you crave it, if you crave it, it will lead to you growing. And so I was thinking about what does that mean? What is, it, what is this spiritual milk about? And so I thought of this. I thought of, of taking the word crave and maybe creating some, some, uh, some descriptions out of that word. And so each letter representing something. Uh, I, thought, I thought, so for C, I think it requires, and this is important, it, 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 it requires a life of contrition. A life of contrition. In other words, I recognize that I'm not God. I recognize that I need God. I recognize that if I don't have God, I'm probably full of pride. And if I'm full of pride, therefore I'm not honoring God. And so what it means is I have to live a life of humility. I have to recognize my need for God. And I think part of craving pure spiritual milk is recognizing that I have to humble myself before a holy God so that he can make me holy. And so craving is about contrition. The second is the R, which I think is about reading the Bible. People who don't read the Bible know nothing of God. Now, you may know something of creation because you've seen it, but that doesn't mean you know anything of the revelation of God. And so how often do people want to know what God has to say, but they never read his word to find out? And so when we crave spiritual milk, we want to read the scriptures. The A represents asking God. In other words, communicating with God, creating a prayer language with God to, to interact with God, pressing in and having conversations and not just having conversations, but also listening and saying, God, what are you saying? There's a fellowship and a communion that is created. V is, here it is, valuing holiness. That you value holiness. You recognize that you're not always holy, but you value holiness and you're committed to living towards a greater reality that the Bible paints for you and for your family and for the world. And that you don't just dismiss it and enjoy the privileges, but just never take on the responsibilities. And then finally, the last one for E, for crave, E is expect, come on, expect to encounter God. You serve a living and active God. How... What if you lived your whole life and never encountered God? That sounds awful. But what if you could encounter God? And what if you could commit yourself to encountering God? That would be cool. And I'm just saying to you today that you can encounter God. If you do some of these crave things, you will experience God. And so part of our desire is to expect an encounter with God. Because God is not dead. He's active and alive and he's working and he's moving and he wants to interact with you. And so... 
We can grow. It's one of the privileges we have from being a follower of Jesus. Number two is we are living stones. Now, what does that mean? Because isn't that weird? Because stones aren't alive, are they? Like, have you ever seen a rock? And they have, I've never seen it. Like, talk to me. Some of you have probably seen talking rocks, but you're on drugs. <laughs> I know it. I know. See, see, the Bible says that we can be living stones. Listen to this in 1 Peter 4, or 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. You're coming to Christ, who is, listen to this, the living cornerstone of God's temple. Living cornerstone of God's temple. He says this. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Do you understand what he means by that? That when Jesus went to the cross to die for us, that was a privilege. That was a great honor. Get that. For him to fulfill the purpose that which he had been put on this earth to do was an honor. And why was it an honor? Because it created a pathway for you and me back to a God that loves us. Friends, that's amazing. And it says that he was rejected by people. And yet he was received great honor from God. Verse 5. And you are living stones. So he just very clearly tells you you're a living stone. That God is building into his spiritual temple. What, what's more is you are his holy priests. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Now, I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but I do know this, that if you are a living stone and God is saying that he's building you into a great, a great temple, that means you're a part of something. That means, have you ever played with Legos? Anybody? Yes, you've played with Legos. Some of you still play with Legos. Yeah. Some of you are very excited. Lego is, they're building a new Lego place in Virginia. Like it's a whole big thing and you're going to be excited and you're going to go there and you're going to play with Legos as an adult. But Legos are something that you play with. They build, you know, you get it. You do the blocks and the blocks and the blocks and the blocks. And you make walls and you make things and you make Star Wars characters and you make all these things with Legos. And what God is saying is that he's building you into a temple that you, as people of God, are being placed in a wall and that wall is creating a holy temple. Why? So that the world will be drawn to God. You're being placed in God's family for a purpose and a reason and you are called to be that and then he says this he says not only are you living stones but at the same time you're priests he says you're holy priests and you offer spiritual sacrifices what does that mean it means that you are the one that is here to administer the grace of god to the world as the priest because isn't that what priests do they have religious function. They offer things on behalf of the people. And if you're part of that holy priesthood, then that means you also have that responsibility. You were called to be a signpost in this world. And so as priests, you're here to offer living sacrifices. What, are, what does that mean? Sacrifices were used in the Old Testament to, to draw God in. And then what happens to those sacrifices? They're consumed by God. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. 
They're consumed by God. And so the sacrifices that we offer our lives are intended to be consumed by the holy fire of God that we might burn before a world that is dark. Does that make sense? And I know that this is deep stuff, but come on. We are called to burn. We are called to be consumed by the holy fire of God that we might bring a light to the world that people don't currently experience. Come on. How about this? A privilege. I mean, we've talked about being stones and priests and sacrifices and and, and we can grow. Here's the third one. Is that we are citizens. We're citizens in a new kingdom. We're citizens. Now, I know when you hear the word citizen, sometimes we think, well, I'm a citizen of this country. I'm a citizen of America. And that's probably true. You probably are a citizen of this country. But the thing that supersedes your citizenship to America is your citizenship in the kingdom of God. If you call yourself a Christian, that is your ultimate commitment. And so when we look at politics and we look at the things going on in our world, if we never at any point say this, God, what do you want me to do? God, what does your word say? God, when people are doing X, Y, and Z, and we never say, oh, hey, ho, 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 what does God want me to do? Then we've got a problem. Does that make sense? Because you are citizens of the kingdom of God first. And we should always be processing it through this lens. Listen to this in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Stay with me. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. I love that I'm possessed by God. Not like in a weird way where my head spins around. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into this wonderful light. And he says it this way. Once you had no identity as a people, once you had no identity as a people. Do you know how you enjoy the privileges of God? You really start to understand your identity in Christ. And you build a life on that reality. And when you understand your identity as a people of God, you can live out this beautiful, amazing life that does what? Not just that you enjoy, but that the world is drawn towards. Listen to what he says next. He says, now you are God's people. And he says it this way. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. See, see, we are called to point people to God's grace and his mercy. How? Because we've experienced it ourselves. And we now become people who can distribute it to the world around us. What an amazing privilege that we have. And I'm not sure if you guys have fully grasped that yet. But I hope you do, because ultimately God has given us great privileges. All right, well, this, that was easy. Now we get to the harder stuff, okay? You're like, okay, that, that was easy. Okay, here's the harder stuff. So, so not only do we have heavenly privileges, but we also have earthly responsibilities. Here, here are some of the earthly responsibilities that Peter deals with in verses 11 through 25. And so here's the other side of it. Here's the other side of it. This is what he says in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. Listen to this. He says, dear friends, that's you, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. In other words, he's saying this is not your home. This is not your home, people. You are a temporary resident. You are a foreigner. Some would call it a resident alien. You don't belong here. 
You belong somewhere else. And so he says to us, he says, you are temporary residents and foreigners. I warn you. He's warning us, guys. Anytime the Bible warns you, what should you do? Listen. So the Bible is about to warn us of something. You should listen. This is what he says. He says, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. He goes on to say in verse 12, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Why? Why is Peter so concerned about these unbelieving neighbors? I mean, you would think he'd be concerned about the body. You'd think he'd be concerned about how difficult it was on the believers. But he says this. He says, live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Why? He says this. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So, so what he's saying is, if you will live in such a way that honors God, unbelievers will be drawn to God and from that drawing will eventually honor the God that you worship. And at no point does it say you had to stand on a street corner and say, you dirty sinners are going to burn in the pit of fire. Does it? It just simply says, live. Live in such a way that you bring honor to God. And when you live in such a way that you bring honor to God, unbelievers and believers will be drawn to God and want what you have. Because this world is a cesspool. And when the light of Christ shines in the darkness, people are drawn to what? The light. See, Peter's trying to help us to see how we should live. And when we live this way, we not only experience the privileges of being a son or daughter of God, adopted into the family of God, we also become signposts that draw people to the grace and the mercy of God, and people will get saved simply by how we live. Friends, that's good. Preacher, that's good. I, man, I'm going to shout you down. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God, that's good. Praise you, Jesus. I know that's what y'all were thinking. You were thinking that. I get it. I get it. But do you see it? Do you see what he said? What he really says is if you behave in a certain way, you'll draw people to God. In other words, you're called to be a signpost. Signpost of his grace. And as you become that signpost, you will point people to God. And that's my heart for us as a people, as a church, that we will point people to God. And God forbid if we ever become a place that points people away from God by our behavior. Because friends, we are the solution. You understand that? If we don't do what God has called us to do, there's no plan B. We're the solution. We are called to be the solution in the world. And so as friends, if we are believers in Jesus Christ today, we have this responsibility. Now, I just have two things I'm going to say, and I'll wrap up. The first is this. As you look at 1 Peter, as he goes through the story, and as he goes through this, he, he starts to identify a few things around submission. And so the first thing that I want you to see here is in 1 Peter 2, 13, he says, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authorities. 
And so the Bible very clearly says that we're told to submit to what? Governmental authorities. Now, I know that this is hard sometimes. Some of you have a hard time with that. Some of you don't. But, but in the end, it's some, at some point, isn't it true that the government's going to do something you don't like? Isn't it true that if you're under a kingdom, some king is going to do something you don't like? And so you're going to experience that. It's going to happen. And what I've found is Americans really have strong opinions. Have you noticed that? They have really strong opinions. And they're so courageous, they love to put it on Facebook. But they will never talk to you face to face. I call that keyboard courage. But, but, but here's the thing is, I think it's kind of scary to think that our opinions become almost like our God. You know what I mean? Like we have opinions and sometimes we have opinions that aren't even lining up with scripture and we think they're right. And you're a believer. Like, think about that for a second. How many things do you say or, or, or put on Facebook or, or hashtag or like or, or do stuff with in the social media universe that maybe just maybe doesn't have anything to do with God or even his word? That perhaps you forwarded things or agreed with things that would be outside of the character and nature of God. Friends, that's not okay. And I know I'm stepping on some toes here because I've found that sometimes we like things or we do things that, that we don't process. But man, I think when we do that, we hurt our witness. We're called to be better. We're called to be greater than this world. And so we have to come up with a better way. And so what he says is, look, even if you disagree, you are called to submit to human authorities. And this is, this is he goes on, uh, Warren Wiersbe said it this way. He says, though we may not respect the men and women who hold office, listen, we must respect the office and obey the laws. Yes, the Christian is free, but his freedom is not license. Get that. In other words, Paul says it this way. Shall I go on sinning that grace may abound? He says, by no means. In other words, don't use your freedom as license to sin. It's important we get this. And sometimes we justify our behavior simply because we think it's right. And we're free. But it doesn't mean that we have license to do what we're doing. Because when the Bible says we should submit... To authority, it means it. Now, I know that some of you are very smart people. And you're thinking in the back of your head, well, what about these authorities that are ungodly? You know, I know. I mean, and I think it's curious because a lot of times we go to that place and, and we, we then throw the, to use the proverbial statement, we, we, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. So in other words, because there's evil men in this world, we now don't have to listen. Come on. That's absurd. That somehow because there's evil, because there's men and women that do horrible things in governmental positions, we somehow get a pass. And that is not true. We are called to be different because you know what he said, right? Live in such a way that even the unbeliever, the punk, the guy in the office that's making a mess of it is drawn to Christ because of how we 
submit. Yeah. <laughs> Is this a popular sermon? No. It's probably not going to be downloaded much. But am I lying to you? No, I'm just showing you what's there. I'm not making it up. And, and as, as believers, we're called to engage it. How many of you love to break the law? Go ahead. Nobody? See? Yeah, some of you don't even think about all the laws you're breaking. But like, my point is, is like, I'd say that some of you like the red law, that no one's raising their hand, right? I raised my hand. I did, see? Because I actually kind of enjoy breaking the law. Now, I don't do it anymore, but there is something in me that kind of enjoyed it. Like when it was said, no, don't do this, I wanted to do it. I don't know, I don't know. Matter of fact, the Bible says that the law increases sin because it shows us what's wrong. And then because of our rebellious nature, we want to go ahead and do it. So sin goes up because the law is present. It has an inability to save us. Only Christ can do that. But the law reveals our problem. So like here, I'll give you an example. There's this stupid stop sign in my neighborhood. You ever seen one of these stupid stop signs? They make no sense. It was like some government employee was like, hey, I got an idea. Let's put a stop sign right there just for fun. That's, I mean, and literally, like, it, it, it's, it's a sign that I look at and think, that's dumb. And I'll just be honest with you, okay? I'm just going to be honest. Can I be honest? I often <laughs> don't stop. <laughs> now, I do give it the taps that it deserves. I mean, I, I'm fully aware of what's coming, but, but to be honest, I just, I, I just go. And I'm sure none of you do that. I'm sure none of you have ever done that. And what I'm trying to get to is to show you this point, and it's, it's very relevant, is that we make decisions that we think are right, but that doesn't mean that they're biblical or godly. Because I have freedom to run the stop sign. I do. But isn't it true that if I run the stop sign and maybe I'm not looking one day, I could hurt someone, hurt myself, hurt my kids, simply because I thought it was stupid. See, God puts guardrails in our life for a reason. These guardrails are here to keep us safe in a world that is absolutely broken and destructive and hurtful and hard. And when we blow through stop signs, friends, when we reject these words around submission to the governmental authorities, what can happen is we experience a life God never intended us to experience. We experience pain that God never intended us to experience. We experience things that God never intended for us to have in our lives. And then we get high and mighty and blame him for it. And you're like, what? You're the one that ran the stop sign. Is that okay? All right, all right. Last thing, number two. We are told to submit to even oppressive authorities. Did you see that? Remember when I read this whole thing about slaveries and masters and all that stuff? 
He says that we're supposed to submit to even oppressive authorities. This gets gets really hard. I don't know about you, but I don't like this at all. He says this in in 2 Peter, right? Or 1 Peter 2.18, he says, you who are slaves must submit to your masters. I don't like this. Because there's something wrong with this. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you read it and you're like, something's wrong with this. You're like, God, wait a second, God. Are you affirming a practice that is absolutely oppressive to a people? I mean, is that, is that what it is? I mean, how is that even possible? I mean, if, if, if bondage is incongruent with the gospel, get this, then how in the world could he call us to something like this? And I think it's a great question. I think it's something worth diving into. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, Peter speaks here to the household slaves who were saved and members of a local assembly or a church. And then he says this. It is interesting that neither Peter nor Paul attacked slavery as an institution. And then he says this. Rather, they encourage slaves to be devoted Christians and to obtain their liberty if they could. Now, if I'm just telling you and being honest, I don't know why. But to be honest, I don't know. I don't know why Peter and Paul didn't stand up and say, this is absolutely a horrible thing and it should be happening. But they don't. Bothers me. But it makes me think about, like, why would they do that? Like, what was going on? What are the possibilities going through their brain as they're writing these letters? And so here's a few thoughts. One is, is that I think maybe they were picking their battles. They were picking their battles. Because in the Roman world, slavery was very present. And it didn't just relate to color. People were enslaved as people groups because the Romans were very brutal. And they destroyed entire societies. And if you didn't submit, they put you in slavery or killed you. End of story. They were a brutal regime. They built great buildings, but friends, they were awful in terms of how they treated human beings. And so maybe they didn't want to fight that battle at that time. I don't know. Sometimes I think about slaves and masters. Because this is language that the Bible uses is that he's my master and I'm his slave. That's language that the Bible uses. And I don't know if he was just simply trying to say, hey, we're all called to submit. We're all called to submit to authorities. And if you're in this situation or that situation, good or bad, either way, you're called to live a life that's greater than what people are currently seeing. I'm not saying it's, it, it's something that's easy. I'm just simply saying that may be a possibility. And then he says, you know, this whole thing, he says devoted. I, I kind of wonder if it's devoted in whatever state you find yourself in. Good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, never gives us license to not honor God with our lives. But then he says this, and I think this is really important. If it is in your power, then you should obtain your liberty. In other words, 
If it is possible, then you are called to obtain your liberty. And so if you read in Philemon, that whole book is about a, a back and forth between a slave and a master. And in that book, Paul is saying very clearly, hey guys, I need to go on the record here and you need to hear me. If you heard me before and you know I love God and you've seen the miracles that I've done as an apostle, if all of that, I'm calling in the favor and I need you to understand that this guy is a good dude. He may be a slave, but he needs to get free. He even says that. And he's like calling in the favor in this particular place because this slave had run away from his master. And Paul sent him back. And with the letter, he sent him back that said, hey, you need to be favorable towards him and give him his liberty. So my point is that it's hard to come to the conclusion that God is for bondage. Clearly he's not. He would have never freed his people from Israel, or I mean from Egypt, if that was the case. So slavery is not something that God's for. But there are things happening in this particular book and at this particular time that, that they use as a way to help us understand some things. And what they're trying to get us to see is not really so much about slavery, it's about submission. Does that, does that make sense? And you've got to see that nuance. It's important you see this nuance. Because ultimately, what will happen if we don't is we'll just throw out authority altogether. And God never wants us to do that. And I'll just say this, and I'll go on record in saying it, is if the authority calls you to do something immoral or illegal, you have a conscience for a reason. And that's important, because there may be times that that happens. I'll even go a step further and say there may be times that our government makes decisions that are contrary to the Word of God. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to say no even if it means our life. And that's the thing you've got to understand. Romans 13 is very clear in saying this, that the state holds the sword for a reason, and they will use it. So if you put yourself in harm's way by standing up for what you believe, there is a chance you will either go to jail or die. You're like, wow, I'm just really loving the sermon today, Pastor. <laughs> I'm just really loving it, really loving it. But I'm telling you, this is good teaching. It's good teaching. Matter of fact, it's good teaching for the world we're in right now. Because, friends, it's not going to get better. It's not. It'll get worse. Mark my words. And believers in Jesus Christ are going to have to be there. We've enjoyed, we've gotten way too comfortable. <laughs> All right, I got I to gotta, I gotta wrap things up. I'm really glad that the air conditioner turned on. Aren't you? Some of you are like, no, but I, I, I just stand. All right, I'm going to end here. Um, Jesus is our great example, isn't he? That's who we follow. He's our model. Listen to this in, as I end with 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 21 through 25. For God called you to do what? Good. Even if it means suffering. We should not skip past that very quickly. We are called to do good, even if it means suffering. And then he goes on to explain why. He says, just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone, 
He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. How often do I want to be the judge and jury of every situation? He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin. Did you hear it? And live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Isaiah tells us that. It's by his wounds. By the stripes and wounds of Christ, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. That word turned is a repentance word. In other words, that we turned from the old life and embraced the new. That because of what Christ has done for us, we not only die with Christ, we are resurrected with him to new life as we take on the very nature of God. And so, friends, as we think about our privilege, as we think about our responsibility, may we remember again why it all is what it is. And it's because Jesus is our example. And we are called to live lives that represent him well. See, Jesus suffered on this earth so that we could be dead to sin. Dead to sin and live for what is right. See, Jesus enables us to act as he acted. When the world persecutes us, when we suffer, we are called to be different. And then finally, our identification with his death and resurrection makes it possible for us to live a righteous life. And so, as believers in Jesus Christ today, May we live a life that is worthy of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for just how challenging it is, God. Lord, each one of us in this room have to acknowledge that we've at times neglected our responsibilities and probably taken for granted our privileges. And so, Lord, we just want to acknowledge that. We just want to say to you, Lord, we're sorry for doing that. But ultimately, Lord, we want to live the life that you've called us to live. We want to be the signpost that you've called us to be. And so, Lord, would you help us with that today? Would you help us to be the people that you've called us to be? Jesus, would you help us? If you want that, if that's, that's your heart, to get right with God today in that area, just simply say to him, Lord, I'm sorry. I've, I haven't done it right. And so today I'm going to turn. I'm turning. Turning away from this stuff. And I'm going to turn and I'm going to look at you. And I'm going to realize that you're the one that matters. 
So God, help us. Help us to be privileged and responsible people. Perhaps you're here today, and as I was talking, you may have wondered if that relationship that you have or don't have is secure. And so I just want to ask you this question. Do you know that you know that you know? That not only if you died, you would spend eternity with God, but that you have an ongoing, consistent relationship with the Jesus I was talking about. And I'll just say this, if you don't, I want to pray for you. You know, the Bible says that if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is who he says he is, that he's the Lord, that he's the Savior of the world, and that through him he can connect you back to the Father, empower you for the life that he calls you to, to be a signpost. So what I want to do is just offer a prayer. So if you're here today and you'd like to take a step of faith towards a relationship with Jesus, I just want to offer this prayer for you. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. I'm not going to have you come down front or anything. I just, I just want you to raise your hand up as a sign of faith that this is what you want. And then I'm going to offer a prayer and you can agree with me in this prayer. So right now on the count of three, if you want this, no hype, no nothing, no, just, just you being very honest before the Lord. On the count of three, just go ahead and raise your hand up. One, two, three. Go ahead. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see your hands. Thank you, Lord. People are coming into the kingdom of God today, church. So let's put our hands down. Church, let's all pray together. Nobody's praying alone in here. If you raised your hand, let this be an honest prayer before the Lord. So repeat these words. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. I recognize my sin has separated me from you. I receive the gift of salvation. I have confidence that I'll spend eternity with you. I submit myself to your lordship. Empower me for the kingdom of God. I choose this day to follow you. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Come on church. Let's just celebrate anybody. Come on. Multiple people coming into the kingdom of God today. I just thank you Lord for this church. I'd invite you to stand on your feet. God, we just worship you now. We want to return back to you everything. We want to honor you above all things. We want to get our hearts right before you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this room. We thank you that you're raising up an army of love, an army of light that this world so desperately needs, Jesus. We thank you for your word and how it shapes us, God. We want to offer you back. We want to offer you back our worship right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church. Let's continue.